All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Michael will bring some to you. He can bring them right where you are. Or we'll get a Bible where we want you to be able to read it yourself. If you need a Bible, you just keep it, okay? Take it home with you. And um, we want you to be able to read God's Word yourself and to say, God, what are you trying to teach us? You know, last week, Pastor Micah got us started on this new Christmas series, No Filter Christmas, because real life needs a real Savior. And he took us into the genealogy of Jesus because that's where the book of Matthew starts. I mean, riveting, name after name after name after name for 14 times three generations. And um, basically, it shows that God has been planning for a long time to bring hope into this world in the person of Jesus. And at the bottom of your notes, I don't know if you know this, there's three little boxes that say, I never knew, I need to change, or I should share. And uh, last week we had our students in with us because on the first Sunday of the month, Pastor Eric brings all the the high school and uh, junior high students to big church. And um, uh, we're just so blessed to have those young people around here. So one of them happened to fill out her notes and leave them behind. And so uh, here's what she put at the bottom. I never knew that no one is born into the family of God. You have to ask Christ to come into your life. Number two, I need to change to focus on Jesus more than uh, presents during Christmas. Or third, I should share, we have a God who's faithful. So I don't know if you filled that out for yourself at the bottom. I was blessed by hearing her responses um, to what uh, Micah was preaching and uh, just thought you might want to share in those as well and be sure to bless one of the young people if you see them around here today. So we're continuing here in Matthew chapter 1. Basically today we're going to see that Jesus, of course, is God and he's perfect. And Jesus is brought into this world by God. Even though he's perfect, he's brought into an imperfect world and he's placed Jesus in an imperfect family with an imperfect dad and an imperfect mom and imperfect brothers and sisters. And they're poor and they're displaced and their housing was sketchy even up to the night that the baby Jesus was born. Now, adding Jesus to their family would ultimately be this huge blessing for Joseph and Mary and for the entire world in the long run. But initially, it about tipped over their entire apple cart. I mean, when you have worked diligently to live and enjoy a well-ordered, organized, funded, planned life, and along comes an unplanned pregnancy into the mix, and it turns out to be God's idea, well, then it comes down to a matter of your faith and love. And you only get one life to get it right. So let's look at Matthew 1, starting verse 18, getting life in the right order. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, you have a certain amount of life under your control, and the important thing here is that you do the right thing in the right way with the right motive if you want to achieve the right result. So Joseph, you know, Joseph doesn't really have a very big part in the Christmas play. He doesn't have many lines. He doesn't say anything uh, that's quoted in the Bible. He's not given a lot of credit, uh, but his life had a lot going right And uh, he he had a lot of order and promise and a plan for his life. And he's a carpenter. He's a tradesman. And he's engaged to marry. And that would have meant that he had uh, sought for and achieved the blessing of Mary's parents. And, you know, in that culture, you didn't leave something as important as who your daughter was going to marry to, you know, some uh, guy. 
You didn't leave it to love. You know, you would, you would, they, they would choose. In fact, they had a, a different system. You'd actually be engaged with the help of a matchmaker when you were a child. And your parents would arrange it with the matchmaker. You might never even met the other person. And at some point, usually in your teenage years, you would meet them and you'd move from the engagement into a time of betrothal, where you're betrothed to each other. And uh, you might get to weigh in, like, please don't make me marry that pig. You know, you know something like that. Um, <clears throat> or you would say, hey, okay, I will go along with that. Um, but you, if you agreed, you were moving into a one-year waiting period where now it was kind of like the deal was sealed. You were just waiting for a year. So you'd be called man and wife, and you're not living together in the same house. You're not enjoying those uh, benefits of marriage yet, but to break up after that point was considered the same as divorce, and it would take divorce papers. And then they would finally, after that year, then they would move into the same house and into marriage as we know it. So Joseph here has played the game of life by the rules. And I would guess he's lived a moral life, a responsible and respectful life. He's been fair. He's been faithful in his relationships. And he's kept his word. He's hardworking. I would guess that he's saved ahead if he could to provide uh, for their lodging. Um, and they've waited uh, this year to be, you know, it's during that year that they're waiting uh, so that they can consummate their marriage uh, physically. And he wanted to do everything exactly right. Now, you got to have a little sympathy for young people. You might remember, but there's about six different things that are going to hit young people all at once, big decisions that they have to make and hopefully get in the right sequence. You could write these down in a list if you want, see how you did on them, but just think about it. You have to finish your education. You fall in love. You get married. You make babies. Somewhere in that list, you start a career and you buy a house. Six big things. And if you get them in the right order, then that's great. And if you get them in other order, it's much more difficult. And if you get them in the wrong order, it's impossible. So it's important to do it right. And you only get one life. So I'm guessing that Joseph has really thought through this. He's got organized, he's detailed plans, he's worked hard, he's gotten his parents' blessing, and um, he, he's ready to settle into their new home in Nazareth, work his career, make babies, and grow his family. And, you know, he's not a scholar, he's a, he's a carpenter, he's a tradesman. He's not a rocket scientist. In fact, nobody thought of either one of those then, either rockets or science. You know, and, and there's two verses, though, that later in the Bible that talk about when Jesus was, came back and spoke in Nazareth, and uh, the people there in Nazareth discounted Jesus' uh, ministry among them. The first one is in Matthew, and the second is in Mark. They might be the same event. But Matthew 13, uh, 54 says, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? There's his miracles. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary uh, called Mary? Are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas here? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Mark tells pretty much the same story. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, in this snapshot of the people of Nazareth, they, they take offense at Jesus because they say, he wasn't a brainiac in school. He's not a scholar. He's a carpenter. He's a tradesman like his father. 
And the fact they even mentioned his mother is supposed to be a put-down. Well, Joseph was a tradesman, and he wasn't a scholar. And to think God could have chosen anybody he wanted to be Jesus' earthly dad and mom. In fact, he did. He did. And he chose Joseph because Joseph was solid and dependable and hardworking, salt of the earth. He had a thought-out plan for his life. Joseph was planning they're going to live there in Nazareth and raise their family and live happily ever after. It's the good life. And then one landmark day, Joseph's world is turned upside down by unanticipated changes that are brought into his life by other people. He never saw it coming. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It's not fair. I mean, life is not fair. Joseph's world turned completely upside down through no fault of his own. He'd done nothing wrong. I know there's a lot of people in California today who a week ago had a home. And through no fault of their own, their home is gone. It's ashes. Or people a few weeks ago who went to a concert in Las Vegas and their friends aren't alive anymore. Or on a personal level, somebody rear-ends your car or steals your identity or, or texts to say, I'm not coming home tonight, I'm sleeping with somebody else. Or because of a doctor's error, your eyesight is compromised. Or your parents all of a sudden get needy and very picky at the same time. I mean, life is not fair. And Joseph's entire life is changed by somebody else's behavior Mary, of all people, is pregnant. And who's the father? And she's engaged to Joseph, but she's pregnant. And Joseph knows he's not the father. And we aren't told how Joseph learned the shattering news. I mean, it doesn't appear Mary told him right away. If you read in Luke chapter 1, this angel Gabriel visited Mary and said, Mary, you are going to have the baby. She says, how's it work? And the angel explained things. You know, the Spirit of God's going to come on you, and, and the, the baby that uh, you're going to be carrying will be uh, from the Holy Spirit. And, and in fact, even your cousin Elizabeth, uh, who is well past the age of bearing children, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. And then when the angel's gone, she, I don't, it doesn't say she talked to Joseph. It says she raced off to the hill country where Elizabeth was living. And she hung out there for the next three months until Elizabeth had her baby that they named John the Baptist. So how Joseph got the news... We don't know how Joseph was brought out up in the loop. Hopefully, you know, he didn't learn it on the street of, hey, did you know? I heard. I'm sorry. And he's going, what? You know, that would have been terrible. But, you know, and I kind of imagine both Joseph and Mary were introverts. And so it's kind of, you know, getting conversation started was sometimes pretty difficult at their house, I'm guessing. But, you know, how did he learn? They didn't tell us. But when he did, he must have had so many questions. Who's the father? How did it happen? How could she? Why would she? Our life was going to be so perfect. And Joseph didn't know, and nobody said, well, God was behind all this. God didn't tell him in advance, and, and, and Mary didn't tell him until it's a done deal. So what about all those happy wedding plans? Well, they're off. Mary's pregnant with somebody else's baby. That changes everything. None of it's Joseph's doing. He hasn't consulted. He didn't do anything wrong. He's not, he has no power or control in his own life of what's happening Absolutely everything else is being decided by somebody else, and his life has been irreversibly, irrevocably, irretrievably rewired as a consequence. It's not fair. Has it ever happened to you? I would guess that it has, that other people have made indecisions that have impacted you and the rest of your life, and you weren't even consulted. In fact, 
I would guess in a room this size, we could come out with uh, at least one ain't it awful story per person. And then there's a part of this story, though, where they blamed it on the Holy Spirit. Now, we know from the New Testament, from being Christians that, that are after Jesus' death and resurrection and after he left the earth and uh, sent the Holy Spirit to uh, be with God's people, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of believers. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, God's Spirit comes and lives in your heart, in your being. But Joseph didn't know that. He had never heard of anything like that. He had heard that the Holy Spirit of God was the one who took nothingness and darkness and chaos and spoke and brought light and creation and order. He did know that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to different holy prophets through the centuries, directing them what to say and what to write, calling people to repentance. And he did know that the Holy Spirit of God enabled people's hearts to be able to understand what God was trying to tell them. And he did know that the Holy Spirit of God was able, had the power to bring people who had been alive and and now were dead back to life, like in the the, uh, vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, where he sees this valley of dry human bones, and then suddenly they come together in, in skeletons, and then they're covered with the muscles and sinews and skin, and then they start to breathe, and their hearts start to pump. And they're reconnected and re-energized and reawakened to life. But this, this Holy Spirit causing an engaged virgin to be with child? Never heard of it before. And Joseph didn't know that God was behind all this, orchestrating a blessing for himself and for all of mankind. He saw it as this huge setback, the idea that God was going to use this setback, this tragedy in his own life, so he thought to be a blessing for the whole world never entered his mind. He thought it was ruining his life and you only get one. So how do you respond when you've been handed a tough deal? When somebody's cut into your lane and you don't know all the facts, how do you respond? Well, look what Joseph did. Verse 19, he responded appropriately without fully understanding. Verse 19 says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know, we all make important decisions without having all the facts. But you come to the point where you have to either exit or stay on the freeway. You have to decide, and not to decide is to decide. And so you have to either go this way or go that way. And Joseph came to one of those uh, points in the road where, where he had to go one way or the other. And to his credit, Joseph's decision-making was not based on his hurt feelings. It was not based on his emotions. It was not based on the rejection and betrayal that he was feeling inside. Joseph decided to do what, take action based on what would be best for everybody involved and what does God's word tell us? It was based on his character. And Joseph was a righteous man. He was committed to doing the thing that was right in the eyes of God. Now, God's word has some guidance. We talked about it a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 24, where it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, this this scripture applies exactly to what the situation Joseph was in. He found some indecency in her. She's having somebody else's baby. So we have to applaud Joseph's decision-making process. He hasn't given in to the emotions of his heart or the, the feelings of being hurt or rejected or the deception. He's decided, what does God's word say? What guidance does it give? 
And how do I still be a righteous person even when I've been wronged and wounded? Now, have you noticed there's some people in this world who take the slightest offense? The slightest thing will cause them offense, and they never forgive. And then there are people who are a whole lot smarter that regardless the size of the offense, they're going to forgive because they're people of great character and because they know that it's unhealthy to refuse to forgive. When you harbor that inside, it, it's toxic. And Joseph is this righteous man, and Mary has broken his heart, and he loves her. And even though the trust is broken, he's not motivated to get even or to get revenge. He still wants to protect and to respect. That's good character. Now, you and I know the whole story So we know that it all worked out okay for Joseph in the end, that God was doing him a favor, that 2,000 years later we're still talking about him, even though he had only a little bit part in the play, that Joseph was privileged to witness the birth of the Son of God and to spend more time close up with Jesus, watching Jesus grow up and just enjoying him as his dad than almost any other person in human history, except he didn't know that at the time. He didn't have a hint that there was any possible outcome for good. All he knew was pain and problems and personal tragedy. And Joseph did what was right because he was a righteous man and he wanted to please God. And he was faced with what every one of us will inevitably face, that your love will be tested, that you will get let down, you will be disappointed, you will get wounded and cheated, and you have a choice. How am I going to respond? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond to other people who ask me about it? You don't have all the facts, and you don't know where the story's going to end, and you're sure that this is going to change how your life's going to end, and you assume it's for the worst. Yet we can see from the story of Joseph, you might need to suspend judgment and let God show you. Yet you have to respond. You have to decide. You have to act, to speak. You have to do something. Adversity will test you. It will galvanize your character. Do you still have faith when there's no hope on the horizon? When your love has been stretched to the breaking point and beyond, do you remain faithful to God even when God seems distant or doesn't seem to answer your prayers or to give you the insight you need? Then what? So Joseph decided what to do, and then he received new information. He decided, I'm going to divorce Mary, but quietly and move on with my life without her. But it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is a one-of-a-kind, out-of-the-box, never-heard-of-before miracle. It, it had never happened before, and it will never happen again. A virgin birth. God did a miracle. I guess it had been heard of before because God had had the prophet Isaiah predict it 700 years earlier that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and so call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a God thing. And God spoke to Joseph then just to get his attention. Joseph in his own logic and his own even wanting to be godly had made a decision that God said, nope, he's going the wrong direction. He needs divine intervention. So God has Joseph have this dream. God revealed his way to Joseph in a dream. And God gave Joseph specific directions of how to treat Mary in a dream. 
Now, there are people who have dreams even to the current day. I want to point out that Joseph's dream and any dreams that are from God will never contradict God's word. Joseph's dream didn't. It enlightened God's word to him. He's thinking God's word says divorce her quietly. And God basically says, well, okay, but that's not required. It's not the only option, and I have a better plan for you, Joseph. And so Joseph had a choice to make after learning what God had to say to him in his dream. He still didn't have all the facts. He still didn't have all the figures. He still didn't have all the information, but he had heard the voice of God, and it had spoken into his life. So now he has to choose, what am I going to do with my life and with what God has told me? And I only get one life. But Joseph had heard an order from God. It was so stunning, I mean, you couldn't make it up. Then Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's still pure. She's still a virgin. She's still true and righteous and wanting to be married to you, Joseph. And the child growing in her is the one and only son of God. She's going to give birth to Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua? And the name Joshua means Jehovah, or God is salvation. God saves. God saved the world. And Joseph knew this. God had saved the world from a catastrophic flood. And God had saved his people from slavery brought, uh, and brought them into the promised land. And then they had gotten into sin, so they had gotten taken into captivity. But God saved them and brought them back to the land of promise once again. And that God was in this business of saving his people from their sin or their iniquity or their transgressions or their shortcomings or whatever you want to call it, the failures that break our relationship with God. And we all have them. So this story really isn't about Joseph. He had a little part and he did it well. But he's just like you and he's just like me. He, he, he has this little part in this great big work that God is doing in this world. And what are you doing with your life? Because you only get one. See, this story really is about Jesus. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That Jesus later said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That Jesus was the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb who came to, to die for the sin of the world and take the sin of the world away. And that Jesus was coming into the world in the most ordinary, unfiltered way possible as a tiny, helpless little baby. And God was giving Joseph the responsibility to be his earthly father. And his very first test was right here. And he wouldn't have passed it without divine intervention. So Joseph didn't have all his questions answered, and he didn't have all the information that he wished he had, but he had heard from God. And so his response would require a margin of faith. It always does. There's always a crisis. I've heard what God's word says. I see what I want to do. They're different from each other. What am I going to do? And to be a fully devoted follower, then you need to trust God and go God's way. Even when it doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right, it will, it will cost you something, but in the end, it's the right way. And you'll be most blessed if you just do what Joseph did. He did what was right when the right was hard to do. It says in verse 24, Joseph woke up from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. You know, doing the right thing for Joseph meant marrying this pregnant woman whose baby was not his. And it meant delaying his own physical gratification for months on end. 
And it meant doing what was right meant letting somebody else choose the name of their baby. And it meant living an entire life different than the one he had planned and prepared for himself. And doing what was right meant trusting God even when he didn't have the answers and even when he didn't fully understand. When he woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph got the name Jesus. This is a big deal. You know, it's easy now for us to say, well, yeah, of course that was the right way to go because we know the whole story and, you know, we're not in the heat of the moment and our closest relationships aren't being sacrificed and our physical appetites aren't being denied and, 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 and we've got it pretty easy because we can just read and see how it all turned out for Joseph. But in the situation, Joseph passed the test. He obeyed God when it was hard to do and you're going to have an opportunity to do that pretty soon yourself. See, Joseph lived up to his promises to follow God and his desire to be righteous. And so he named the baby Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled everything that God wanted him to in this world. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. And that baby that Joseph named Jesus, well, the Bible says God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, it's about Jesus, that every knee is going to bow. You know, there's a lot of people who've lived their life without Jesus, haven't cared about Jesus when they've heard about him. They've walked the other direction. They have rejected him. They've fought against him. They've ignored him. They will be forced to their knees to admit that truly Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And then there's going to be some knees, every knee that bow. The, the, the most blessed ones are those who bow their knees voluntarily, that they recognize, I only get one life, and it is best spent loving and following Jesus. And they get on their knees before him, and they say, when I see him face to face, I will be on my knees saying, Jesus, I love you so much, and he will know you and call you by name. And you say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Lord and all to God's glory. Do you know, in conclusion, decisions made with character, not emotions, are the best. To say, what is the best and what would be godly? And to follow God in total obedience, even when you don't have all the facts, to just keep inching forward, but inching towards where God wants you to, to be and to go. And devote your entire life to loving Jesus, following Jesus, listening to Jesus. I mean, let God be the game changer in the only life you get. Because in real life, you need a real savior. And the only one is, his name is Jesus. And the good news, he really loves you. Shall we pray? Dear God, I thank you for your word and for what we see in Joseph. Didn't have everything, didn't have everything going his way, but he had a plan, and then suddenly it just got obliterated because you had something so much bigger and so much better. He wouldn't have understood it if he even had explained the whole thing but he was willing to follow you to the best of his ability. And because of that, all of us have been blessed through Jesus. 
Now, I pray that we will make the same kind of decision today here in the quiet of this moment to say, God, I'm going to give you my heart. I give you my life. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll, I'll share your good news with others. I, I will be fearless. I will be forward when necessary. I will be compassionate and caring. I will make decisions based on what is godly and how do I please God? And someday we will see Jesus face to face. What a moment that will be. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.